Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and His kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. If you've got a Bible, let's turn to Mark chapter 6. We have come to a really exciting point in the story today, where after five chapters of preparation, Jesus is now going to send his disciples out on mission for the first time. Uh, If you weren't here with us back when we started the book, um, in chapter 1, Jesus called these really kind of ordinary, unimpressive guys and said, follow me and I will make you something new. I will transform your life and then send you out to transform the world. The way he said it is, I will make you fish for people, which that doesn't, that maybe doesn't translate to us today because we're not fishermen. Um, I I don't know your vocation. Maybe some of you are, but most of us aren't. But these guys were, this would have meant everything to them. What Jesus was saying is he was getting into their workplace saying, follow me and I'm going to give your ordinary everyday life a new purpose. And what we have in our text this morning is really the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. And um, as we approach this text today, um, here's my invitation to you. I want to invite you to approach this story as a missionary, not a historian. I think a lot of times we can approach a story like this as historians. What historians do is they look at the details of a story and they go, oh, that's, that's very interesting. They file away some information. They go, wow, those disciples, they live some very interesting lives. My goodness. Um, that's how a historian approaches the text. It's, uh, it's maybe interesting, but it's pretty removed from our everyday life um, because a historian, they're studying for the sake of information, but a missionary studies for the sake of transformation. A missionary uh, looks at a story like this and says, hey, the same God um, that was at work then is alive and at work in our world today. And so a missionary studies for transformation and goes and does something. And that's what I think this story here is. um, That's why I think this story is in the gospel of Mark. That's what this story is here uh, to help us do. Because I don't know if you think of yourself this way, um, but if you are a Christian, the Bible says you are a missionary. Um, and this is one of, I think, the most exciting aspects of the gospel that Jesus calls us into a relationship with himself um, to join him in his mission in our world. And um, if that's a new thought for you, if you're like, why would I want to do that? Or how, maybe you've heard that before, be like, how do I actually go about doing that? If those are the questions that's in your mind, well, then I'm so glad you asked, because that's what today's story is all about. Are you ready? All right, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this. He, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that is given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Not that Judas, different Judas, an unfortunate sibling name there. And uh, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. 
and he marveled at them because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching and he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. So, uh, so far, Jesus's ministry in the gospel of Mark has been centered around the region around Galilee. And now what's beginning to happen in the gospel of Mark is Jesus is going to begin to move beyond that region uh, uh, throughout the area. And eventually he's going to get to Jerusalem where some stuff's going to go down. Um, and this movement out of Galilee, it begins with the return to his hometown. And there's really this rather uh, anticlimactic homecoming. Um, you can hear it in how Mark tells it. Jesus comes to his hometown. I don't know what you're envisioning, um, but if you're just reading the story so far, um, I, I think you should be envisioning like, man, there's going to be parades. Like um, Nazareth, it's a small town. So the small town boy who's had this great fame in the region comes home. Like maybe you're envisioning a parade. Um, everyone's excited. Maybe a revival breaks out. But Mark says that's not what happened when Jesus comes home. Jesus comes to his own hometown. But Mark says he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. See, um, this, this theme of faith, this idea of faith that's been such a big theme in the gospel of Mark so far. Um, we've seen that um, when people believe in Jesus, when people trust Jesus, that lives are transformed, that destinies are changed, that struggles change. I mean, belief it, it connects us to the power of God. Like belief and faith has been such a big theme here. Now we see the opposite. What Mark tells us is that unbelief, not believing in Jesus can keep you from experiencing the power of God in your life, that God can be among you. And if you have a hard heart that says, I don't care who you are. I don't want to know you. I want to be God of my own life. You can be in the presence of God and completely miss out on the power of God in your life. That's what happens at this really really anticlimactic homecoming. But this doesn't stop Jesus. Mark tells us, and so he continues on. He goes into the surrounding towns, and now it's not just Jesus that's on his mission. He calls the 12, and he sends them out with his authority. Um, someday, Karen and I are going to get to this glorious spot where um, our kids will be old enough uh, to say to our oldest, um, hey, you're in charge. Mom and dad are going out tonight. Um, now, our oldest thinks she's ready for that now, uh, but someday she's actually going to be ready for that. And we're going to say to her, hey, you've got mom and dad's authority. You're in charge of your sisters. You, you make sure the house doesn't burn down. You make sure, man, if, if they pick up something they shouldn't like, you, you get on the phone. You take care of this place. We give you our authority. That's kind of what's going on here is that Jesus, um, this authority that we've seen for the past several chapters that he has over the spiritual realm, over uh, physical sickness and brokenness, he says, I give this to you. I'm giving it to you to go, not, not to do your own thing, but to carry on my mission, um, to uh, really advance my mission on behalf of me. And um, one of the questions I think you could ask at this point is, is it because Jesus had a bad trip home? Like Jesus has had all of this success so far. Then he goes home. There's unbelief. He could do no mighty work there. And then he sends out the 12. One of the questions you could ask is, was Jesus going, okay, I think I've taken this thing as far as I can. I'm going to call my disciples and see how far these guys can take it. Um, and 
you guys are very quiet. Uh, that's something that's okay to laugh at because if you've been here so far in this series, I, I present this question so that we can just think about it because we need to think about it as missionaries, not just as historians. We need to get in here and go, what's going on? Um, I would submit to you, Jesus, he's not at a point of lack going, oh, I don't think I'm doing very good. I'm gonna send out my disciples because if you've been with us in this series so far, we've seen the disciples have lacked faith, misunderstood the teachings of Jesus, uh, doubted the love of Jesus, doubted the power, of Jesus. Like, this is not the A-team. If Jesus was going, okay, I've taken this as far as I can take it, there's a thousand other people he would call. Jesus is not in a position of weakness calling for these disciples to do something he couldn't. Rather, Jesus has a purpose for these disciples in sending them out on mission. Jesus could gladly uh, continue his mission on his own without their help. But just like he does today, he calls his disciples into the process because he wants to do something in them as he works through them. And that's what we see um, in the following verses. Look at verse eight. He, that's Jesus, charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet off against as a testimony against them. So what Jesus says to his disciples is he sends them out with his authority to carry on his mission. And what he says to them is pack light. Um, Karen can tell you, I would struggle with this command. Uh, when we go on trips, I probably take about twice as much as her because I like to have options. I don't know if anyone else is with me on that. Okay, you're going to leave me hanging. Thank you. I was like, you guys are going to leave me hanging. I like to have options. You just, you never know what's coming. Um, but Jesus tells these guys, no, you need to pack light. What he says to them is bring no bread. Uh, that's their food. Uh, he says, bring no bag, which is where you pack your food and really all the belongings you would need for your trip. He says to bring no money in your belts. That's how you would buy food if you didn't bring it with you. Um, I don't know if I'm hungry or just really focused on that right now, but I don't know. That's a big deal when you're going on a trip. And then he says, bring no extra tunic. Don't wear two tunics, which that would be like your change of clothes. And so uh, again, if we want to look at this as historians, we could go, ah, oh, that's very interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen a tunic. As missionaries, we have to look at this and say, okay, does that mean it's wrong that some of you have bags right now? Like I, I see some of you, you have bags. He says, bring no bags on your journey. Um, is it wrong that some of you brought some bread with you to church or food or a snack with you? That's probably a wise idea. We might be here a while. I don't know. You might want a snack. Um, is, it, is it wrong uh, that some of you brought money or an iPhone with Apple Wallet on it to go to lunch after service so that you could buy lunch? Like, wh wh what's going on here? Why would he tell these guys not to bring these things? And um, some of you are smiling. Before uh, you, we get to the... Okay, some of you are smiling because you know these instructions are specific to the specific missionary journey Jesus sent these men on 2,000 years ago. Some of you, you know how to read your Bible. Uh, you don't jump from then to today. Um, and you go, okay, that's what it meant for them. What does it mean for us today? But before you smile too much, let me say this. The principle absolutely does apply to us, and it's far more radical than pack light. Um, the principle in all of this is that minimal baggage is not a virtue in and of itself, 
So sorry if I just took that. Some of you are real proud right now. You're like, I am a minimalist. I, I just carry a carry-on when I go. Well, don't worry. That's not spiritual either. Minimal baggage is not the virtue in and of itself. It is a means to a greater dependence on God. I mean, I mean, think about it. If you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, you'll be praying. Amen. That, that's what Jesus is saying to these guys is don't pack all of these things so that you can go out in your own strength and your own resources and accomplish what you and your own awesomeness can leave it all behind. Put yourself in a position of dependence because that's where I do my best work. That's where my mission will occur. Here's the big idea. Jesus sends them out in radical dependence, not looking to their own strength, not looking to their own supplies, but leaning into God, saying, God, I'm going to need you to provide my daily bread. I'm going to need you to provide as I go into this town. I'm going to need you to move. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. I'm going to starve to death. It's going to be the shortest missionary journey ever. And all of this is a part of their discipleship to Jesus. See, it's not like these guys are his disciples and then they graduate and they become Jesus's missionaries. If, if that's your idea of missionary, you got to get that out of your head. All of this is a part of their discipleship to Jesus. This sending them is an opportunity for more discipleship, for more growth, to understand more of Jesus, to meet him more, um, to have more dependence upon him. And it is the same for us today. Let me ask you this. Um, have you ever gone through a day and um, you get to the end of the day and you just realize, like, I didn't even think about him all day? Anyone been there? Liars. <laughs> you guys are all so holy. Okay, I've had a day, um, you know, before I was a pastor, because pastors don't struggle with this. Um, but, you know, you just get going through your day. You, you get in your commute, and that's not a place to think about the Lord. I mean, that's a place, like, you just got to navigate the dummies on the road out there. And then you get there, and you're just going, 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 and you put your head down at the end of the day, and you're like, oh, yeah, what? What happened to my whole day? We, we didn't even talk all day. Um, see, uh, I, I think we've all been there because we live in a modern society with so many conveniences um, that we don't need to ask God for our daily bread, right? Like we pull out our iPhone and we DoorDash our daily bread. Like, and man, after the last year, you don't even have to put pants on to get your daily bread delivered. It comes to you. I mean, like, we, we have so many conveniences. Everything is working against us to recognize our dependence on God. And look, I'm not saying um, joining Jesus on his mission makes us more dependent. I'm simply saying it helps us realize how dependent we've been all along. Uh, the truth is what the scripture says, I can only draw my next breath if God decides to give it to me. But we don't think about that often. We presume upon the kindness of the Lord and we move upon our day without giving thought to what dependent creatures we are on our creator and sustainer who is at this moment holding the cosmos together by the power of his word. And Jesus sends these guys out in a posture that's going to make them more aware of that. And it's the same for us today. It's when we join Jesus on his mission um, that we're driven to more prayer, we're driven to more dependence on him. And again, I just want to... Um, I want to lay this on the ground for us. I'm not, when I say join Jesus on his mission, some of you are envisioning, I quit my day job and I go into full-time vocational ministry. Um, and that's not at all what I'm talking about. The biblical picture is not that people that work in a church, they're in ministry. The biblical picture is that all Christians, your life is a mission field. 
And so the biblical picture isn't you quit your job and you start new tasks and now you're a missionary. The biblical picture is that God calls people into relationship with himself and then he takes the relationships, the workplace, the vocation, the skills and calling he's given you and he makes that your mission field. And so it's not a matter of taking on new tasks and now all of a sudden you're more aware and dependent on Jesus. The, the idea here is that you would live your everyday life with a gospel intentionality, that you would approach your workplace, um, whether that's somewhere outside of the home or inside the home. Like sometimes it's little kids that can be uh, the craziest mission field that cause you to depend the most on God. Um, there are some days I get home and like, I mean, we see some crazy stuff in the church here. It, it's an honor to get to walk with people through their life, but life is messy. But then I get home and hear about Karen's day and I'm like, wow, life is really messy. Um, so it, it doesn't matter what your vocation is. It's not ta- taking on new tasks that makes you dependent on God. It's having a gospel intentionality. It's seeing that as a mission field, seeing that as a place you can bring the truth and love and grace of Jesus to bear. And, th- and when you begin to approach your work that way, when you begin to approach your meetings and your projects and changing diapers with that kind of intentionality, you go from coasting through the day in your own strength to on your knees praying because at every point you're like, I can't do this on my own. Uh, I can't do it. I can't make them see your beauty. God, you're going to have to help. You're going to have to come through. And that's the essence of joining Jesus on his mission is it puts us in this posture of dependence. It's something that no, there's no iPhone app to accomplish this. We can't door dash open so-and-so's heart to the beauty of the gospel. Ka-ching, although we're, we're in this techie area. If you can invent that app, that's just got the direct line to heaven, that would be awesome. Just let us know. But there's no app for this. There's no shortcut to this. To, um, to see our ministry is our everyday life with gospel intentionality. It's going to require talking to the only one that can open hearts and change hearts and soften hearts and reveal truth to hearts. And that is going to drive us to more frequent and more desperate prayer. So, so um, I, I talk to people a lot that say, oh, I just want to grow in my prayer life. If you want to grow in your prayer life, join Jesus on his mission. Um, if you feel stuck in your relationship with Jesus, um, a, great, a great way to get unstuck is to join Jesus on his mission because joining Jesus on his mission increases our dependence upon Jesus. And that's a great place to be. So that right there, that's the why That as these disciples join Jesus on his mission, it increases their dependence upon Jesus. It causes them to lean into him more. And that is the place that joy in life is found. That's the why. Now let's look at the how. Verse 12. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. So I, I don't want you to miss this. Um, Jesus, remember where we started our story today. Jesus could do no mighty work in his town because of the unbelief of the people there. Um, but Mark tells us when these guys go out, these guys that barely understood the message themselves, that are uh, a mixture of faith and doubt, um, that wonder if Jesus even cares about them, these guys that are a mixture on their best days, They go out on mission and what do they see? Revival breaks out. 
I mean, they preach the message. People believe demons are cast out. People are healed. Like, I think we're supposed to see a contrast. Like, how are, how are these guys doing what Jesus didn't do in his hometown? And the idea there is it really comes down to faith. These guys aren't more awesome than Jesus, but the crowds there receive the message with faith instead of with unbelief. But if we're going to study this as missionaries, we got to go beyond that. We've got to, we've got to talk about what does all this talk about casting out demons and healing people mean for us today? Uh, And the big idea is this. I would submit this to you. Um, What Mark is showing us is that Jesus's mission involves both word and deed. Mark says they went about proclaiming that people should repent. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that they just went around calling out sin with those like angry signs saying, repent, evil, judgment is coming. That's not at all what's going on here. This is shorthand for the message of Jesus that Mark has told us for six chapters now is repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come to you. Happy are you. God has come to you. So repent of those lesser things you're trusting and enjoy what I have brought to you. That's, that's the message. Um, Eugene Peterson in his commentary on this, um, he, he, um, He's the guy that wrote the message, and um, if you've ever used that, I, I hesitate to call it a translation of the Bible. What the message is, um, is he sought to paraphrase and summarize the Bible for his granddaughter, and it, it can be a great commentary to have as you're reading the Bible. Listen to how Eugene Peterson summarizes this verse uh, for his granddaughter. It says this, they preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. That's what it means to call people to repent. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be different. Uh, To join Jesus on his mission, it's to joyfully proclaim this message, that there's more life to be found in Jesus than in the things that you're chasing. So come on, there's more for you than this. There's more, there's grace, there's mercy, there's love, there's healing, there's redemption, there's grace, there's the justice that you seek so badly can only be found in him. There's more life in Jesus than in the things you're chasing. That is the message that they went out preaching. And look, um, I know it's becoming increasingly unpopular in our culture to say this. Uh, We live in a day and age where we're being told if you don't just affirm everything about how someone um, lives and believes about themselves and believes about reality, if you can't just affirm absolutely everything about them, then you're not loving them. Um, But we need to love people enough to take the risk. We need to love people enough to say there's more life found in Jesus than the things that you're chasing. Because I want you to think about this. Where would you be if someone didn't take that risk for you? Where would you be if someone didn't open their mouth and share with their words the good news of the gospel? That though we are sinners who have separated ourselves from God, Jesus has come to bring us back into God's presence again by his grace, by his redemption, you can live the life you are made for with God. Where would you be if someone didn't share that message with you? See, this is how Jesus is in the work in the world today. I don't know if you know this. I I know you know this. I don't know why I'm being sarcastic right now. Um, Jesus is in heaven right now. Jesus is not physically walking the earth. He's not in Galilee. He's not in Jerusalem. He is 
at the right hand of the Father in the position of glory, sovereignly ruling and reigning over the course of human history. And the way that Jesus continues his mission in the world today is through the presence of his spirit in his people going and his people opening their mouth and sharing the truth of the gospel, sharing what Jesus has done to give us life, sharing what Jesus did at Calvary 2,000 years ago, sharing the good news of the empty tomb and how brokenness can be turned upside down through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The idea is that Jesus has sent you. That's how he's in the work work in uh, Contra Costa County today. I mean, think about it. how is the person in the cubicle next to you? How is that dum-dum in the car in front of you ever supposed to know how beautiful Jesus is if you don't open your mouth and tell him? Because Jesus is up in glory right now and he has put his spirit in you to be the one to share. And look, I'm not talking about beating people over the head with truth. Um, there's a winsome way to do this and a harsh way to do it. There's a Christ-like way to do this and a non-Christ like way to do it. But what I'm talking about is proclaiming with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Um, and I think if you're really paying attention to the non-Christians in your life, um, people are hungry to hear that life can be radically different. We live in an exhausted, bad news world that there's a lot of good diagnosis of the problem going on out there, that this is the issue, that this is the issue, that this is the issue. And we live in a world that is exhausted with bad news, that's ready to receive good news. And it's up to us as the people of God to open our mouths and to share the good news of what Jesus has done to bring us life. And, and then this is so key to get. Um, they didn't just preach the gospel with their words, but they demonstrated it with their actions. So this is where we say that the gospel is in word and in deed. Uh, they preach the gospel. They proclaim with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. And then they demonstrated it with their actions. They cast out demons. They healed sick people. And they didn't invent this. They got, this is Jesus's ministry pattern that he shows up in Mark 1. And he says, hey, good news. The time has arrived. God's kingdom has come. I've come to bring you out of brokenness and to bring you into the wholeness that you long for. And then after Mark chapter 1, he begins showing showing people what wholeness looks like, what it looks like when you come into a relationship with Jesus, what it looks like to come into life in God's kingdom. And so the disciples just carry on this pattern that they see from Jesus to preach the gospel with their words and to demonstrate the gospel and the beauty of it with their actions. And, and, and the reason that I say you have to hold these together is because if you, there, there are some very well-intentioned people that want to preach the gospel with their words, um, but then they're not as concerned about action. And what you have to see is that if, you, if you're concerned with words, but not with action, the gospel that you preach will become very hollow. This is why I think a lot of young people are walking away from the church is they hear the church talk a big game about justice and righteousness and mercy and goodness and wholeness. And then they see uh, the church largely, though there are exceptions, the church largely be silent on major issues of justice and brokenness and wholeness. And it's like, well, if your picture of righteousness and justice can't relate on the ground to these things, then maybe I'll go find something that can. 
See, I think a lot of people are rejecting the message of Jesus, not because they haven't heard the truth, but because they haven't seen it lived out. They think it doesn't actually relate to real life. This goes back to what we saw in the very first sermon in Mark. They think the gospel is, hey, um, if you trust in Jesus, it doesn't really do anything for your life here, but when you die, then you get to go to heaven. It'll be awesome. And a lot of people are rejecting that because they're like, well, my life feels a lot like hell right here, right now. I'm not concerned about hell after I die. I'm concerned about hell right now. And this is why we have to preach the gospel with our words and demonstrate it with our actions, just like our King and Savior Jesus did. Because if we don't, it is a hollow gospel. But let me also say this, because some of you, you're like, get them. Okay, let's go there. Um, Other people are really passionate about preaching, um, excuse me, not preaching about demonstrating the gospel with their actions, but they don't preach the gospel with their words. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase um, that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is Chad Francis kind of sharing a name. I'm a little offended because there's no record he ever said this. But it's often said, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. Terrible statement. No record he ever said it because you know what? It's always necessary to use words to share the gospel. You doing good actions for someone might demonstrate the truth of your message, but if there's no message there, you're making their life better without affecting the things that really matter most about their life. And so like, man, some of you, you are so passionate to do acts of mercy and demonstrate the truth of the gospel and praise God, we need that in our church. We absolutely need that, but it's got to be paired with the preaching of the gospel word. Otherwise, we're... We're helping people in vain. We're helping them in the short term while their eternity is lost. And even in the short term, I mean, how, how vain is it to like maybe have food in your belly, but not know the God for whom your soul is made. Now I'm not talking about, okay, well then we shouldn't care about feeding people. We should just give them the gospel. Like, no, I think we should do both. I think we should be like Jesus that proclaims the good news that you can have life with God. And by the way, life with God, he doesn't want you to go hungry. That doesn't happen in his world. And so here you go. They are meant to go together. And and, and the reason I'm pressing on this is because um, it has been my experience that most of us tend to have a ministry of word or deed, but not a ministry of word and deed. And some of you, like I said, you are more bent towards saying, here's what the Bible says. Here's the truth of God's word. Here's what Jesus has done. And praise God for you. We need that. We need that in this church. We can't be on mission without it. And maybe the challenge for you is your words might come across as hollow if you're not willing to practically step up and show what that looks like. Others of you, maybe you love to show what it looks like, but you're afraid to speak up. You're afraid they might reject me if I tell them I do this in Jesus's name. And what you need to hear is, man, it doesn't help people to make them have nice societies and structures on their way to an eternity separated from God. That's not loving. What's loving is to connect people to the life-giving truth of the gospel and to demonstrate it in such a way that that gospel can be felt starting now and on into eternity. This is why, as a church, we come together on Sundays to hear the gospel proclaimed. Uh, We are a church that is just unapologetically built on the truth of God's word. Uh, We love God's word. We love to hear from God here. But we don't stop there. We are also a church that wants to serve our community. This is why we do things like the backpack drive, which, by the way, since we're talking about it, let me share an update with you. Um, Church, you came through with more backpacks than we even asked for. 
I mean, I just want to say praise God for your generosity and coming through um, so that when <laughs> those backpacks were delivered a couple weeks ago, and um, I just, it's, it's so cool to be able to say, like, to our community, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus um, is bringing his kingdom to restore this world, and in Jesus's world, no kid doesn't have the resources they need. Um, Jesus loves you, and he wants you to have awesome pens in your awesome backpack this year. So thank you for being a church that enables us to uh, gather to hear God's word and go out and demonstrate the truth of what this word looks like, the life that this word leads to. Thank you for being a church in word and deed. And my encouragement to you is let's keep it up. Let's know our tendency and surround ourselves with people that are going to challenge us to lean into both because it's when the disciples go out in word and deed, proclaim with joyful urgency that life can be different because of what Jesus has done and demonstrate the beauty of the gospel by pushing back darkness with our lives. It's when we go out in mission in word and deed that at least for these guys, revival happens. I mean, it's a powerful combo when you can combine the two. These guys go out in word and deed, and Jesus works through them in such a way um, that revival breaks out. And um, it's a powerful combo, but I so badly just want to end the sermon and say, let's pray. But then the story, it takes a strange turn. So, so let's talk about it. Look at verse 14. Word indeed, powerful combo. Jesus pushing back darkness. Then verse 14, King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name has become known. Catch it. Their, their mission, it's spreading the fame of Jesus. It's getting to the royal officials in the area. They're starting to hear about Jesus. These guys are pretty good on their mission. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, had been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Gross. Verse 18. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. He kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughters came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist, gross. And she came in and immediately with haste, the asked the king saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and he beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard it, they came and took his body and they laid it in the tomb. So does that story feel out of left field? 
But verse 30, we're going to look at this next week. The disciples come back and tell Jesus about everything that's happened. So this story, Mark, sandwiches it in between for a reason. And I think the reason is this. Lest we go out of here and say, we're going to bring revival to Diablo Valley. We're going to bring the power of God's kingdom as we preach what Jesus has done and demonstrate it with our actions. Lest we walk out of here with just absolutely triumphal confidence, we need to recognize that the results of our mission are not guaranteed. Um, I think that's why Mark sandwiches this story of John the Baptist being beheaded in between the sending and the returning of the 12 from their great and miraculous mission. The results are not guaranteed. Look at the details. Um, John, like the 12, he is on mission for Jesus. He is calling Herod to repent. Do you see that in verses 17 and 18? He's proclaiming with joyful urgency that life can be different. Like, hey, life's just better when you're not taking family members like your brother's wife and sleeping with her. Your life can be better than that. I mean, that's joyful urgency. That's easy marriage advice. Life can be better. He's helping the guy out. But um, Herod didn't like that. And Herodias uh, the, the woman that he's really calling Herod out for, um, she's so offended by what John says, she wants him killed. But Herod, um, he, he's a, a really complex guy. He, he's living in sin, but he recognizes there's something righteous about John. And so he says, um, well, let's not kill him. I, I'm going to keep hearing him out. I'm kind of in tension. I'm in process. Uh, maybe this is where some of you are at. You're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what I believe, but I'm not ready to reject it yet. And if that's where you're at, I would say just be careful who you hang around with because Herod, or Herod puts him in prison. How, na- how confusing are these names? Herod puts John in prison and then his brother's wife that he's sleeping with, Herodias, she's so offended. She's like, prison isn't good enough. I can't stand that he's been put out from polite society. I want his head on a platter. And so Herodias, she plans to have John killed. And so what she does is she gets her daughter to basically sell her body. It's a really gross scene. She dances in a way that I'm not going to go into here, but there's a reason that the king is so pleased. It's a really perverse scene, but in the end, Herodias gets her way. She's, she is so offended by John proclaiming that life can be urgently different that she sends her daughter, she uses and abuses her daughter to get her way, to get John's head literally cut off. And so what we see in this little section of the story is that John dies at the hands of a pervert while on mission. Shall we pray? I mean, is is that where we want to end it? Here's the point in all of this. The results are not guaranteed. Like, We've got to see this when we join Jesus on his mission. We might see evil strongholds come down. Like there were a generation of Christians that fought for the abolition of slavery that said, we're not going to be silent. We're not going to preach the gospel in our words and stand silent on this any longer. And they went to battle to say, this evil cannot stand. And they saw evil strongholds come down in their day. Um, I hope that in our day, we can see the evil demonic stronghold of the attack on the unborn come down in our day. 
you might see evil strongholds come down in your day, uh, but you might, you might see revival. I hope in our day that we just see this place explode. Like, I'm just like, God, what are you up to right now? It seems like the world is so ripe that just every Sunday we're baptizing people because people are meeting Jesus. Like, I hope that you long for that. I long for that. But what you've got to recognize is when you join Jesus on mission, you might see strongholds come down. You might see revival breakout. You might also get your cut, head cut off at the hands of a pervert for being faithful to the mission of God. And I, I don't know like how many of you, maybe some of you are in a season that you identify more with John than with the 12, where you're like, yeah, man, I just tried to like say that I love Jesus and then no one will talk to me anymore. They're all angry at me. And, and all I said was I love Jesus and I want them to meet Jesus and they're all angry. Maybe some of you feel more like Herod than the 12. Um, Mark wants you to know that that's normal. Jesus prepared the disciples for this in verse 11. He says, you're going to go into town. Some people are going to receive you. Some won't. That's the way this goes. The results are not guaranteed. Like Jesus, the one who accomplished the mission that we're witnessing to, the only innocent one who was actually perfect, like you think you're perfect, he was actually perfect. They hung him on a cross and killed him. So the results are not guaranteed. But here's, here's one thing that is guaranteed. And I, I think this is where the story, the strange and tragic story of John's death is meant to drive us. At the end of Matthew's gospel, this is after Jesus dies and rises from the get, dead. And he appears to these same disciples. And what he says to them in Matthew chapter 28 is he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So as you're going about your normal life, tell people the good news, spread it everywhere, not to one people group, to all people groups. And then when he says is I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's what's guaranteed. Results are not guaranteed, but here's what is. When we join Jesus on mission, he's with us there. We grow in dependence on him. He comes through for us. So what um, whether we see strongholds come down or we literally get our head off, head cut off. He's with us there. We know him more. We know the power of his resurrection more. We walk with him more fully. And that's the guarantee. That's the only thing that's guaranteed in all of this. And if some of you are like, well, that's not enough, then I think that's where the Holy Spirit wants you to do business today. Because our treasure, according to the scriptures, it cannot be in the result of our mission. It has to be in being with Jesus. The only treasure that we have is growing in our dependence, learning to commune with him more throughout the day, pressing more into him, seeing more of his grace, more of his love, more of his life-giving power. And when being with Jesus on his mission, when that's our actual treasure, then when we don't see the results that we hope for, then that can actually be an opportunity to press into the Lord for further prayer and we get more of Jesus. So when we put a baptism out here on Easter Sunday and no one gets baptized, that can be an opportunity for more prayer to press into the Lord more if being with him is our treasure. But if our treasure is seeing some exciting stuff, if that's our ultimate treasure, I'm not saying it's wrong to be excited when people get baptized, but if that's your ultimate treasure then you're not on the mission of Jesus. And I think that's where this story of John is meant to press us, to really make us consider, is my treasure 
to enjoy being with Jesus more? Or is my treasure that I want to be on the hype train? I want to see some exciting stuff and Jesus might do it for me today. Some political party might do it for me tomorrow. Uh, Something else might do it for me the day after that. Like you need to think about this. Judas was among the people that were sent out. Do you notice that nowhere in Mark did it say, hey, they all did mighty works except Judas because Judas didn't really like Jesus. No, Judas is out there on the same mission, doing the same stuff as these guys. And this is where, um, I just want to read this warning from Jesus to all of us so that we can really consider where is our heart at? Because that's what Jesus cares about. Where is our heart at in all of this? Jesus will say this in Matthew chapter 7 talking about this reality. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? That's a ministry of word and deed and do mighty works in your name. Do you think Judas might've said that? Jesus, I, I proclaim with joyful urgency. Well, it might not have been joyful, but I proclaim that people should repent. I cast out demons, but look what Jesus says. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, here's the point. Um, Joining Jesus on his mission, it can give us more of Jesus if that's what you want. But if you just want to see some results, if you just want to get on the hype train, if you just want to do something because you're bored, but you don't actually want Jesus, joining Jesus on his mission can be a deeply frustrating thing to you because the results are not guaranteed. I think that's part of why the results aren't guaranteed so that we wouldn't be in it for the results, but that we'd be in it to know him more. And so let me close by asking you, do you know him? Have have you met Jesus? Have you met the one? Have you met the one who, he doesn't want to use our bodies to accomplish something for his good, but that he lays his body down and is broken for our good. Have you met him? Do you know the Jesus who, yes, he will say you need to repent. Yes, he will as God and King, look at your life and say, that's sin, that's killing you, it's hurting you, and I love you too much to let you keep going. He will call you to repent, but he calls you to repent on the way to the cross where he's going to die for every ounce of sin for all who would ever believe. So that he would say, you don't have to be condemned when I say repent. You can be freed up to enjoy a new life because I've taken on all of your sin. If you believe in me, I'll take on your sin. I'll trade you my righteousness. So your sin is as far as you from the east is from the West. So you don't have to pretend anymore that you're not sinning. You can come and repent and see new life in my name. Have you met that Jesus? Have you experienced the beauty of his grace to know what it means to have your sins forgiven so that you can um, freely come into the presence of God and not worry about that thing you struggled with this week, but know that that has been paid for and taken care of. Have you met Jesus? For some of you, that's your action item today is is you need to respond to Jesus. You you need to do business with him today to say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to take on my sin and I want you to lead me into new life. I want to know you. I want to be with you. That could be your response today. And if that's you, I want to encourage you just to begin talking to him even now as we respond. Would love to pray with you after service. Um, But for the rest of us, um, if you have met Jesus, then my question to you, 
is where has Jesus sent you? Where, where has he sent you? What, what is the workplace that you were in? What is the neighborhood you were in? What are the local businesses you frequent? Who are the people that you are in relationship with? And how can you depend on God to faithfully proclaim Jesus in word and deed in that place this week? Because look, if, if you've not been on mission with Jesus, this, this sermon is not a call to beat yourself up for your past to say, I should be doing more. This sermon is a call to look to Jesus, to enjoy afresh his grace that loves you in spite of how well you have joined him on mission, that has separ- done everything to remove the gap between you and God, to remove the gap between you and the life you were made for. He has done everything so that you could enjoy the love of God for all eternity. And one of the best ways you can enjoy that reality this week is to begin to step out in faith and join him on mission wherever he has placed you this week. And so what I'm going to do is I want to pray for us and just ask the Holy Spirit to help us respond to these things in such a way that would lead us into a deeper dependence and ultimately give each and every one of us more Jesus, more of Jesus as we walk out of here. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that... Um, We're not manufacturing something to get excited about and tell people about, but that we come here this morning to celebrate the words of life, that that you've given us good news. And so, Lord, I I ask that you would bring revival like we see in this story here, that if you can use those guys, surely you could use us to bring a revival in this place, that the good news about Jesus might so grab hold of us that we burst through our lives with joyful urgency and show this community that life can be radically different, starting with our lives and our loves. So would you come in power this morning? For those that don't yet know Jesus, I pray by the power of the Spirit, you would just open eyes this morning to where all of a sudden he's there. I, 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 I know that. Um, would you make new Christians this morning? Would you reveal your son in a way that would uh, change destinies forever this morning? And for those of us that um, know you, um, would you help us to see Jesus more clearly this morning? Would you um, compel us with the beauty of his grace to go, I've got to tell others about this because this is too good to keep to myself. God, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to respond to these things so that we might walk out of here in greater dependence on you, loving Jesus more fully and more alive in you. So help us in his beautiful name I ask. Amen.